Hi folks. I'm Alan Watt back with Cutting Through the Matrix, another caller on the line who's jumped back into the past in the time machine with a question on history. What is it again? Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, and I was wondering, because if you've got the east and west split between the churches, um, I was wondering if yeah. financed essentially the rise of the, the armies of the prophet and all that to tear, to tear that down, because that suddenly, I mean, that was the last, like, uh, that was the gateway into Europe for the Muslims, was it not? That was a gateway in, in Byzantium, yeah. And, and so, so yeah, I was wondering who financed that. And also, as a secondary thing, and I'll, I'll take both off the air, um, could you speak to, is there any significance, and, and I'm like a, a former Christian recovering, uh, but could you speak to, is there any significance to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which tends to get them much to do, you know, and fighting in, in a lot of churches? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll take my. It doesn't answer. take much to get fighting in the churches. No, no, it doesn't. Any kind of a, any kind of an argument will start a new branch. Yeah, that's right. Subsects and splinter groups. And, well, uh, of course, the, we, we know that they were setting up the two positions, two main power centers in ancient times to supposedly run the same system in case one fell. And they had all these different uh, groups coming down to invade them. And you had the Alaric and different ones, and they had Goths and the, the, the various names they gave to them, Visigoths, etc., who were plundering Rome. Well, the elite actually had moved out to Constantinople and set up their other part of their empire. And, and for centuries, there, there, was, there was quite a lot of confusion because sometimes you had two popes on the go. You could have one in one country and one in the other. Technically, the one that was Rome was still supposed to be the boss, but it, they often ignored each other. Centuries later, they even had uh, the, the two popes based in France who used to put spells on each other, and they would, they would cut each other off from going to heaven and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so it, it, it's, quite the, it's quite the agenda. Uh, but yeah, they, they were heavily, heavily funded all through it because empires are always heavily funded. Um, you'll find the same big moneyed families down through the, the centuries, the Medicis and so on, they go back thousands of years. And you find even Aristotle, who was the coach, he tutored Alexander to become the great, you know, another high Masonic term. Uh, and to become a god, uh, because that's, that was always a mystery religion, often, often termed vaguely philosophy, but it was to do with becoming a god. You, you, you attained godhood. Now, all Roman emperors attained godhood as well, and even Constantine uh, had a temple built after he accepted Christianity as one of the many religions within the empire of Rome. Uh, he built a temple to himself where the people could go and worship his likeness, his image, and that was standard. He also became a member of Mithra, the Mithraic cult, which was mainly military at that time, but it was a, high, a kind of Freemasonic type group. So he did insurance policies everywhere for the afterlife, but he thought no more about Christianity than any, any other one, except to realize it would be a fantastic tool in the future because it had such an effect, a calming effect on the public that followed, and, and they would be more obedient, in fact. Before Christianity, people who were pagan uh, could often um, start revolutions, etc., within the Roman Empire. But with Christianity, they thought it was more of a, a conformist-type idea uh, with, with values which the public accepted but possibly make them more docile and obedient to their rule. So it was a very, very popular uh, type of, of way to go. Slave what, was this, what, was the, what was the second one 
again too. Aristotle, by the way, that taught Alexander the Great, uh, was married to one of the biggest international bankers of his day. No way. And, and they funded Macedonia and Greece uh, uh, to, to start the, their, their particular campaign with Alexander at the head to plunder across the, the world. <laughs> you, you always get money and, and armies together. Yeah. My, uh, my, the other thing I said was, uh, is there any significance to like the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls, even though they say it's out in the open, it's not really... There's fragments here and fragments there, and we rely upon a few experts to to translate them effectively to us. And because a lot of it was Gnostic as well, right. uh, they, they fear that, that the public, if they got their hands on it, would go wild, which they probably would. <laughs> and they still misunderstand even the Gnostic rule, and you get a new cult of Gnosticism uh, with all new fancy rules and regulations uh, running amok. So all of it will never be given to the public, I've no doubt on, on that at all. Uh, well, because, I've been um, reading a little bit on John Marco Allegro, who was, yeah. like a, I guess, a leading philologist, and he, he had a book in the 70s, I think, called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Oh, yeah, and, there was that one. There's also a great one. Uh, cult? Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. So there was, see, the Gnosticism itself wasn't just one sect. Uh, in later ages, they gave it all the same term. The original Gnostics were, were people, the wise men, who went off to be hermits to get away from everybody else. <laughs> and they'd go off into caves and, and say bye-bye. And uh, people would eventually come to them for, for wisdom. The later Gnostics were very much like the, the later Shakers, in fact, in their style. They're the same. It's a, a human condition. It's an odd thing. And when you get a big, big following uh, of... There are people in society who want very, very strong rules to follow. And they're also sure. masochistic in a sense. Some of the people, it's never harsh enough for them, you know. They, I guess if they're laden with guilt or something or repressed... But they, they want these very strict sects. And Gnosticism eventually uh, came into uh, almost a Shaker-type existence. They separated the men from the women, even married couples in these different buildings. Uh, no sex was allowed and all the rest of it. And, and so that came into it. So it completely changed its face. Uh, the early Gnostics uh, claimed even, they, 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 they went to... Uh, they sent uh, emissaries to Constantine and says, what are you doing? You're stealing our religion and remaking it. They mean Christianity. And, and they claimed that, that uh, they'd always had this deity, this perfection of man as a spiritual image to follow that didn't actually physically exist. It was something you attained uh, through enlightenment. And they claimed that, that Rome was stealing their idea and making it into a real person. So Rome, once, once it put Christianity on the, the books, along with all the rest of them, set up armies to, to hunt down the, the, uh, these, these particular sects and ra eradicate them because they knew too and much. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you very much, Alan. I, I finished, all, I went through the books the first time. Um, uh -huh. I get the impression that it changes when you read through them the second time. It does, yeah. Yeah, each time your mind will see something different and think something different. Yeah. It slowed down some of the other reading that I've been doing because I can't stop playing, you know, disassemble yeah. while I read. Sure. So, well, yeah. thank you so much, Alan. Have a great one. Yeah, thanks for calling. You bet. Yeah, people don't realize that, that uh, Constantine, uh, he, he even offered armistice to, to particular groups that he'd banned. Uh, to, he allowed them to come to the meeting under oaths of, of uh, safety. And uh, they the, the died of poisoning on the spot. They were all poisoned and killed. 
So religion is always it's coupled with power, which Christianity unfortunately was from Rome at its beginning. You can't separate the two, the spiritual side from the political side that was merged together. Rome was already a ruling empire with big bureaucracies and, and so on. And, and that was the unfortunate part about it. But the, the ones who win always eradicate their opposition uh, physically or generally. And that's what happened there. But, but yeah, you, you'll find if you deep enough into the histories that the big, the big empires were, were funded into existence as well. And I, I write about that in the third book to do with the money men in ancient times and how they took countries over through introduction of money often forced upon people by the previous country that they'd put into debt and conquered and got standing armies to go off and invade and then put the next country into the same system. They forced them to use money. And that was the, that, that's why often the wars with Sparta went on for an awful long time. They couldn't bring down Sparta. It took them the longest time to do it. They would not accept this foreign money. They knew the international bankers were taking countries over through the creation of debt and slavery because that's what debt puts you into, it's slavery. That's what the Black Book is all about. This in all the Masonic lodges, the Book of the Law, as they say. It's how to put people into slavery, how to rule them. It has the rules of this existence, and uh, the higher Masons understand the rules. The general public never do, because they take the story form, and that's all they see. But we're living in a maze, it's an old, old maze, and unfortunately, like uh, Larry Cohen says, in another song, he says, uh, the rich get rich and the poor get poor. That's how it goes, everybody knows. That's how it always has gone. And if you go into the books by Charles Galt and Darwin, the next million years is a must, must be, you must get that one. Because speaking on behalf of the elite in the 1950s, he tells you about the population reduction and why they'd have to do it from the elite's point of view. He tells you of the methods they would use to reduce the population, including hormonal changes in male and female, and what that would do to them. And he also says that we, the elite, will not alter ourselves, but we'll alter those beneath us, the commoners, uh, meaning dropping IQ and so on. He says, because we, the elite, must retain our survival capabilities because we shall be the captains of the, of the ship of planet Earth, uh, whereas the rest of the public wouldn't need that since they'd be taken care of and ruled by governments. He was talking about forms of lobotomizing the public, as was Arthur Kostler. Same kind of idea. Nothing changes. It's a, it's a horror show, really, when you understand what's going on and things start to make sense to you. Here we are supposedly at the pinnacle, right on the decline of the, of the biggest or the best healthcare systems, supposedly, that the, health, the, the West ever supplied, at least for the people. And people are getting sicker all the time. Sicker and sicker, we now have uh, uh, diseases, old age diseases ahead in the young. We have, we, have, we have juvenile arthritis and adolescent arthritis. Old age diseases hitting everyone because of what's been done to the public and I'm sure to the modified food that also has its place in it too. Now we've got Andrea from Texas. Are you there, Andrea? Hello? Andrea? Is Andrea there? 
I guess you're not. here. Hello. Oh, yeah, you're there. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, my phone's crazy. Yeah. Anyways, um, started my microbiology class, and she started off the first lectures, um, talking about the first uh, vaccinations and things, and that got me thinking, you know, because um, that's something I've been interested in, and I was wondering, could you maybe refer me to any, um, you know, books or you know things like that? Because I, I, I do want to earn this teacher's respect, but it's just. Mm-hmm. You know how people are, and she just can't wait to get her kids shut up with the next vaccine and everything. <laughs> I know, I know. You, this is the problem. Uh, I mean, how, how far do we go to get along and survive in life when we, we know what's really happening? Um, that's a big dilemma. I know nurses that have left the field because they will not, they know, they see it themselves. They see what the inoculations that they themselves have given have done to the people or the children. And you bring up nursing, I've, I've been in school for that for a while, and, you know, the more that I learn, the more I'm like, I, I don't know if what, what I should do, but I just want to yeah. graduate and get it over with. But, in, you know, that, and I'm also in this abnormal psychology class and how they, you know, you go on and, you know, we learn about Freud again, and I notice that there's never any mention of Jung or any of his work. Yeah, Things like yeah, that. and Freud himself. I mean, Freud. Here's a see the whole idea of Freud was just again it's a, it was a must be like a Darwin. They created Darwin to be a star before anyone had had even seen him or heard him talk. And the media built him up for a year before they released the book, saying this genius is going to give us all this stuff, and that's how the public are trained. The same with Freud. It was it was basically a nobody, a, a small group of people there with an experimental school. Psychiatry then was still dunking patients in, on chairs into big pools of freezing water uh, to, try to, to, to shock them into sanity. You know, that was the science yeah, of, we, uh, of that time. Yeah, we went over uh, some of the different methods that they would do and uh, the conditions, and they were describing them. And I used to work at a state mental hospital, and, you know, not much has changed. No, it hasn't. The theories just get better and better. And they use a lot of psychobabble to try and rationalize and justify what they're doing. As long as you mix science with anything, you can make people believe anything. Well, it's, try, it's trying to prove it is the problem. You're teaching the abnormal psych class. You, I don't know, maybe the most five years older than I am. And, you know, she was talking about what, um, Hippocrates, you know, and his, um, his ideas about what caused physical imbalance, you know, and she didn't even know where he came from and stuff, and I remember her saying, oh, I just, you know, the history kind of bores me and stuff like that, Yeah. you know, and all these supposedly uneducated, educated people. Yeah, hold on, and we'll talk about that after these messages. On demand. This is We the People Radio Network. He's five foot two and he's six feet four. He fights with missiles and with spears. He's all of thirty one and he's only seventeen. Been a soldier for a thousand years. He's a Catholic, a Hindu, 
an atheist, a Jain, a Buddhist and a Baptist and a Jew. And he knows he shouldn't kill, and he knows he always will. Kill it for me, my friend, and me for you. And he's fighting for Canada, he's fighting for France, he's fighting for the USA. And he's fighting for the Russians, and he's fighting for Japan, and he thinks we'll put an end to war this way. And he's fighting for democracy, he's fighting for the Reds, he says it's for the peace of all. He's the one who must decide who's to live and who's to die, and he never sees the writing on the wall. But without him, how would Hitler have condemned him at Laval? Without him, Caesar would have stood alone. He's the one who gives his body as a weapon of the war. And without him, all this killing can't go on. He's the universal soldier, and he really is to blame. His orders come from far away no more. They come from here and there, and you and me, and brothers, can't you see? This is not the way we put the end to war. Hi, I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the Matrix. And certainly this uh, brute force and massive slaughter that goes on isn't the way to, to end war, that's for sure. And you can bet your bottom dollar that there's many wars planned in the future once they finish their present targets. Because the CIA works way, way ahead. Looking, always looking ahead for this chessboard game that they play to achieve their ultimate ends. We're talking to Andrea from Texas uh, about the dilemma we have. When we, how far do we go to earn money when perhaps we know that what we're doing is harming people? And it truly is a dilemma for everyone because, we're, again, we're all stuck in the same system to survive. And more and more data is coming out all the time, not only with the medical uh, chaos that we have, which is rapidly declining, by the way. The hospitals in the West are going down the tubes fast to match the, the ones in Britain. And that's already underway, even up here in Sudbury. You have to go to clinics and sit uh, for hours and hours in dirty places and hope that you might see someone. Uh, by chance who happens to pop in to serve you. It's happening the same in Toronto now too because they never trained enough doctors to take uh, care of the population and that was by design because I remember reading 20 years ago they were debating how many they would need in the future, what the population would be and you don't pay these big bureaucratic uh, think tanks masses of money to make kind of mistakes. So they knew they would cause a chaos in the future and it's by design because we're not supposed to get better and healthy. We're supposed to actually get sicker and hopefully start dropping off. Uh, so are you still there, Andrea? Yes, I'm here. And so we're going on with Freud there. Now, Freud was put up to the front to, to basically promote the same idea of a new way of thinking. So before that, as I say, people who had relied heavily on religion, and that was the first one that had to be destroyed to bring in the new religion of science. And so it started with Darwin, uh, Freud was put out there to bring in uh, all the theories that, that they came up with to do with mental illness. And Freud himself was a drug addict. We know that. You know, he died with cancer of the jaw. He was always smoking opium. And, 
and, and so on. How which was great. well, yeah, and uh, these characters okay. were all into that at that time. It was quite legal then. Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, the, the Sherlock Holmes novels, always had Sherlock in the novels uh, shooting up heroin. It's because Conan Doyle did the same thing himself. Um, that was quite acceptable with these characters who all belonged to the high institutions and they believed in this, this alternate reality where they got their ideas. And that's why they're so wacky, all these ideas that they came out with. And, and all Freud did really, it's obvious that Freud himself was the one with the sexual problems. Really you know what, I thought that too, because um, I don't know if you've seen this BBC documentary, but I've been uh, making copies and passing it out, and it talks about Freud, Bernays, and Anna, you know, and I just, you know, even when I first heard about um, his complexes, like in sixth grade, eighth grade, I was like, this is mm-hmm. psychotic, this is, you know. The man, the man definitely was, you know, and uh, he was psychotic, and he had tremendous hang-ups, and and uh, he talked about the tactile senses and babies would love to play with feces and all this kind of stuff, you know, and uh, uh, generally that's not the case at all. But what he did was displace his deity, which is above his head, and put it below his belt. So he based everything on libido and the, the sex drive, which is generally dropping. It's been dropping that whole idea, that belief, and it's just all libido-driven. Um, because now we, we know that there's really psychopathic natures that run the world. It's not a, an excessive sex drive, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's male or female either. The ones who get to the top in the system are psychopathic by nature. Uh, now, Carl Jung himself was a student of Freud, and uh, he was being trained by, even though he literally was a real psychiatrist, Freud, Freud didn't have psychiatric qualifications. You know, he was just an, an MD. And, but Carl Jung did have them. Uh, but Carl Jung himself, uh, being the, the son of the, of the Grand Master of Switzerland at the time, uh, also uh, coming out of the 1800s, a time when, when the New Age religion was really being pushed big time and uh, contacting the dead through mediums, etc. Jung was also into that whole area as well. And in his thesis at university, uh, was to do with, with uh, the dead, the life after death, spirit world and so on he, he, he sort of put that to the side and didn't want that to be too well known once it became very popular and famous in case it would discredit him but he did couple he even gave credence that most of his ideas Carl Jung came from a, a spirit guide um, which he called Philemon and Philemon in ancient uh, uh, mythology was the kingfisher a man who looked like a kingfisher with the big wings and the colours the kingfisher of men in ancient Greece. And so he was getting all his messages and a lot of his data from the spirit world, according to, to himself. Uh, so, so you have all these characters at the top who gave us what we're now are taught as sciences, and psychology itself has devolved into the most hodgepodge sect, just like religion. Uh, many different sects of psychology blended with the New Age. It's almost part voodoo, um, depending on where you go, you know. They'll, they'll, they'll give you yeah, any kind of treatment. in the culture because my mom, she's been a product of this since, you know, she's a baby boomer and she's completely messed up. My yeah. God. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, she always listens to the um, psychiatrist and, you know, you're here joking, you know, talking. Like uh, my brother, he's um, he came from Iraq, you know, he was one of the ex. He's mm-hmm. over there and, you know, she's always joking like, well, she, he needs to go to the VA hospital and get a check and, Oh. You don't need to quit acting crazy. You must be crazy. You need to get some meds. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. please stop. 
Yes, I know. But, but it's sad, it's sad. I mean, uh, uh, now there are some good videos out there on psychiatry and the history of it. Now, one of the best ones, actually, and I didn't know at the time, and it doesn't really, what their content isn't bad, but it's called Psychiatry and an Industry of Death. Uh, and now, the, the foundation that set it up is a, a real foundation that's supposed to be helping the poor, I don't know. However, behind that, you, I think you have Scientology. Uh, well, yeah, you know, because I went to Dallas where, you know, they have one of these big office buildings where they dole out all these various prescriptions to all the people that, you know, can't afford them. Uh-huh. And, and I mean, it's just, uh-huh. you know, and I also remember a time, you know, when you didn't see 10 ads for Zoloft or whatever it is on TV, if you did happen to watch it. That's correct. That's correct. I know. So it's devolving into a, a, a spaghetti. <laughs> Thanks for calling. All right. Bye-bye. Bye now. I'll be back after these messages. I'm Ron Paul, and you're listening to We the People Radio Network. Hi, folks. Alan Watt back with Cutting Through the Matrix and it certainly can't go on. It's not meant to go on forever because governments across the world went into action. Before 9-11, in fact, you can tell that because they had all uh, the plans ready to go, the same plans ready to go, all pushing the same agenda to take care of unrest, massive unrest within large populations right after 9-11. It was just like clockwork, which meant it was a lot of setting up to do it long before 9-11 because big bureaucratic uh, organizations and military organizations don't work that quickly. Yet all went inside the same, signed the same bills worldwide pretty well to go along with this one agenda. And Mr. Bush pretty well told every country that wouldn't go along with it in his little statement, you're either with us or against us. Uh, that was a declaration of war on any one or any country but also any one, any individual too that wouldn't back them on it is a choice for you in democracy, isn't there? That was a legal statement of war on the people right there. That's the kind of world we're really in. It's a, a nightmare and it's going to get worse because they're going to bring us down to a much lower standard of living rather quickly and they plan to take care of it. That's why the Department of Defense in Britain, the top think tank, published that 90-page report, which you can find on my website in the archives. You, you'll find it in there uh, of, of nothing but civil unrest escalating and escalating uh, up until about 2030. What on earth would happen to the general public to make that happen? Well, you see, they know. That's why they predict it. They know what they're going to make happen to cause the reaction from the public. They know that everything's to shoot up in price. They know that we'll have to have great uh, chaos in society. We'll have to move into habitat areas or just overcrowded cities for the general population. And 
there's going to be probably outbreaks of plagues which they release on the public as well. Uh, that's always been a favourite of theirs, I think, that whole idea. And they've been doing this mantra on the coming plague since uh, even before they gave us Outbreak, the movie, the, the, the first one to really condition us. The actual first one was done in the 1950s about a plague in New York that broke out. So they've been at this for a long time, this predictive programming thing with it's inevitable, it's inevitable, it's just a matter of time, as every expert on television tells us. But here's the other part. As they're doing all of this, they're looking towards the perfect uh, uh, slave to serve them, the Huxleyan Brave New World slave for the future. And going back to Plato, remember Plato talked about breeding people for special tasks. To buy selective breeding, you'd, you'd make them mate up and take their offspring and take certain ones from them with certain qualities and breed them for, for work-related related tasks. So it's an, and every one of these characters at the top always talks about Plato. Wells said it was the first book that he read, and it was his favorite. He kept reading it over and over. Here is from BBC News, and I think this is January the 17th. Oh, yes, today, yeah, I came up here. It's BBC News, and this uh, probably was published on the 15th of January. It says... Green light for hybrid research. Regulators have given scientists the green light to create human embryo, animal embryos for research. Research. The Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority granted permission after a consultation showed the public were at ease with the idea. Did you know that you were at ease with this? Did you know that? Were you asked? Did you, did you put your name in for the poll? Did you hear of any poll? So there you are, that's for the general public to accept. Everyone's at ease, so I'll be at ease too. Experts, here you are again, no names, just experts. Experts, you know, the, the holy men, experts, Bertrand Russell's word. You could be trained to just follow the experts. Experts said it was vital for research into life-threatening diseases. There you go. That's their, 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 that's their reason for it. Two centres, King's College London and Newcastle University, will now be able to begin their work under a one-year research licence. Uh, so it goes on to say, any other centres wishing to do similar work will have to apply to the HFEA for permission, which will make a decision on a case-by-case -case basis. Hybrids. Scientists want to create hybrid embryos by merging human cells with animal egg in a bid to extract stem cells. Oh, sure. The embryos would then be destroyed, oh, sure, within 14 days, oh, sure. The cells form the basic building blocks of the body that have the potential to become any tissue, making them essential for research. At the moment, scientists have to rely on human eggs left over from fertility treatment, but they're in short supply and are not always good quality. And that's not true at all. You can take them from any, from bone marrow and even from adults and create stem cells. You don't even need uh, supposedly aborted fetuses, etc. Critics say they are repulsed by the idea and there must be no creation of an animal-human hybrid. It's a bit late for that. I think we did it a long time ago. They say it is tampering with nature and is unethical. It's also already illegal to implant human embryo, animal embryos in the womb or bring them to term. Well, you can be sure they've done it because the boys at the top are beyond the legal system, the ones who do the first searching. It says, go ahead, Dr. Stephen Minger, it's almost like Mengele as Minger, and colleagues at King's College London want to create hybrids to study diseases known to have genetic causes, such as Alzheimer's disease, 
spinal muscular atrophy and Parkinson's disease like they don't know already. And Lyle Armstrong's team at Newcastle University are hoping to use the technique to help understand how stem cells develop into different tissues in the body. In the distant future, this information may lead to scientists to be able to grow new tissues in the laboratory like they can't do that already. Dr. Armstrong said, now that we have the license, we can start work as soon as possible. We have already done a lot of work by transferring animal cells into cow eggs, so we hope to make rapid progress. Now, oh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I don't know if the general population know, but the, the Ministry of Agriculture uh, or Department of Agriculture for the States, the federal uh, government, had already uh, allowed the go-ahead for implanting human genes in pigs, pigs that became the norm, and you ended up eating them, which is kind of like cannibalism, isn't it? So really, it's amazing how they, they bring stuff out like this as though it's a brand new thing on one bottom level. Well, they've already done it, and we're actually eating it, you see. And technically, when you look into all this mixing up of, of insects and animals and vegetables to put into your, your turnip, um, we're already eating parts of other creatures anyway, and humans too, I'm sure, which again is cannibalism. And it's all to do with how you perceive things or even think about things. Most people, unfortunately, don't even think about things. They don't think about things. When I went into that big Zara supermarket down Allison Way, I, I asked the manager, I, says, I asked the girl at, the, at, the, at the, the vegetable area what was modified and what wasn't in the line of vegetables, and she didn't know. She got the manager, and he was sincere, and he says, he says, you're the only person that's ever asked that. No one else has ever asked that. He didn't know. And, and that was the frightening part about it. That's what terrified me. Not so much they were doing it, but the fact that no one else, they all saw the same news reports I did. No one had ever asked them. In two years, no one had asked them. That's scary. Scary when, when stuff is going to keep you alive, you hope. I mean, food is very, very basic doesn't even concern the public. Uh, that's very, very scary. And uh, so I'm sure the public, the general public, will accept chimeras when they bring them forth. And they'll bring out uh, little squat characters with four legs and a certain IQ who can go down sewer pipes or something and clean it out. Who knows? That's the kind of stuff they're talking about in the future. And they have had books published by top uh, scientists for the last 20 years on this coming phenomenon of creating purpose-made humans uh, coupled with animals for specific tasks, including ones that could breathe underwater, uh, almost like a dolphin, and work on the undersea oil rigs uh, and do welding underwater, that kind of stuff. It's amazing how the economy and, and economists always work with the scientists to, to, for an economic purpose, and, and, and there's no laws at the top in economics to do with ethics or anything. Uh, it's, an, it's a given fact that whatever economics wants is the way to go. It gets its way. And all the other laws must follow suit. As simple as that. But that's, that's, that's what they're all about. So they want to change uh, society into a brave new world scenario. And that's why Aldo Huxley knew about it back in the 1930s. He didn't dream it up. He didn't have a fantastic imagination. He, he was just given the facts as it would be 
in this brave new world they were going to create by the top guys at the time. Back with more after the following messages. Topics, free speech at its best. This is We the People Radio Network. through the matrix and chatting about some of the amazing things that are getting rushed ahead in this time when everyone's having fun they've never had the ability to have so much fun and impulsed by so many things because of the credit situation that's been temporarily given to them we're all distracted with so many things while big things move ahead and again, years ago, a movie came out, I think it was called, I think it was called Universal Soldier, with the Van Damme as the, the main actor in it, where they had men who were the military who were part cyborg. That was one of the first major ones to get the idea implanted in our minds. And then in various articles in James Magazine, the military magazine, they talked about the Pentagon working on this very, very project. And there's been many articles have come out since, uh, getting as we get familiarized with the whole concept of it. And even think about it, too. Now, you have a generation growing up where their heroes in the cartoons are part cyborg. Uh, so you can see how everyone's getting trained towards it, especially the ones who will end up being part cyborg. And, and it will seem all quite natural to them as they go into it. And here's an article. It's from Alternet. Alternet. A-L-T-E-R-N-E-T. I guess it's .com. And it's by Penny Coleman, posted January the 10th, 2008. And it says, In June, Department of Defense Task Force on Mental Health acknowledged daunting and growing psychological problems among our troops. Nearly 40% of soldiers, a third of Marines, and half of National Guard members are, presented, are presenting with serious mental health issues. They also reported fundamental weaknesses in the U.S. military's approach to psychological health. That report was followed by, in August by the Army's suicide event report, which reported that 2006 saw the highest rate of military suicides in 26 years. And last month, CBS News reported that based on its own extensive research, over 6,250 American veterans took their own lives in 2005 alone. That works out to a little more than 17 suicides every day. That's all pretty bleak, but there is a reason for optimism and the long overdue attention being paid to the emotional and psychic cost of these new wars. The shrill hypocrisy of an administration that has decked itself in yellow ribbons and mandatory lapel pins while ignoring a human crisis of monumental proportion is finally being exposed. On December the 12th, Representative Bob Filner 
Democrat California, chairman of the House Veterans Affairs Committee, called a hearing on stopping suicides, mental health challenges within the Department of Veterans Affairs. At that hearing, suggestions were raised and conversations begun that hopefully will bear fruit. But I find myself extremely anxious in the face of some of these new suggestions, specifically what is being called the Psychological Kevlar Act of 2007 and use of the drug propranolol uh, to treat the symptoms of post-traumatic stress injuries. Though both, at least in theory, sound entirely reasonable, even desirable, in the wrong hands or under the wrong leadership, they could make the sci-fi fantasies of Blade Runner seem prescient. The Psychological Kevlar Act directs the Secretary of Defense to develop and implement a plan to incorporate preventative and early intervention measures practices or procedures that reduce the likelihood that personnel in combat will develop post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, or other stress-related psychopathologies, including substance use conditions. Kevlar or DuPont fiber is an essential component of the U.S. military helmets and bulletproof vests advertised to be five times stronger than steel. The stated purpose of this legislation is to make American soldiers less vulnerable to the combat stressors that so often result in psychic injuries. On the face of it, the bill sounds logical and even compassionate. After all, our soldiers are supplied with physical armor, at least in theory, so why not mental? My guess is that the representatives who have signed on to this bill are generally concerned about the welfare of troops and their families. Patrick Kennedy, Democrat, is the bill's sponsor. I have no reason to question his genuine commitment to mental health issues, both within blah, blah, blah. I do a lot of blabbing on this, this show, I do blah, blah, blah. I don't know where it's going. Since World War II, our military has sought and fought and found any number of ways to override the values and belief systems recruits have absorbed from their families. Again, that contamination factor of passing on your own, own ideas and morality. So, that, so the, the belief systems recruits have absorbed from their families, schools, communities, and religions. Using the principles of operant conditioning, the military has found ways to reprogram their human software, overriding those characteristics that are inconvenient in a military context, most particularly the inherent resistance human beings have to killing others of their own species. Modern combat training conditions soldiers to act reflexively to stimuli, says Lieutenant Colonel Peter Kilner, Professor of Philosophy and Ethics at West Point, and this maximizes soldiers' lethality but it does so by bypassing their moral autonomy. Soldiers are conditioned to act without considering the moral repercussions of their actions. They are unable to kill without making the conscious decision to do so. If they are unable to justify to themselves the fact that they killed another human being, they will likely and understandably suffer enormous guilt. This guilt manifests itself as post-traumatic stress disorder and has damaged the lives of thousands of men who performed their duty in combat. By military standards, operant conditioning has been highly effective. It's enabled American soldiers to kill more often and more efficiently, and that ability continues to exact a terrible toll on those we have designated as the enemy. But the toll on the troops themselves is also tragic. Even when troops struggle honorably with the difference between a protected person and a permissible target, and I believe the vast majority do struggle, uh, though the distinction is one I find both ethically and humanely problematic, in war, shit happens. When soldiers are witness to overwhelming horror or because of reflexive accidents, an illegitimate order, or because multiple deployments,
employments have thoroughly distorted their perceptions or simply because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time, those are the moments that will continue to haunt them, the memories they will not be able to forgive or forget, and the stuff of post-traumatic stress injuries. It's not just the inherent conscious or conscientious objector or military finds inconvenient. Current U.S. military training also includes a component to desensitize male soldiers to the sounds of women being raped, <laughs> so the enemy cannot use the cries of their fellow soldiers to leverage information. This is quite the article here, and it goes on and on and on. And we are running out of time, unfortunately. You should read it for yourself, read the whole article, to see what the military is really all about. And remember, I've talked about this before, during the Civil War, they were doing their little studies then, and they found that only a few people on the battlefield actually had fired their muskets on the major uh, battlefields, and they were trying to find ways then to make them kill more people and to desensitize them from killing their enemy. See, it's not natural for ordinary people uh, to go out killing, especially when you're not even furious at them. I mean, you can't even call it a crime of passion, as the French would say. It's nothing even to do with that. It's just you're told to do it. Uh, so it's an unnatural act to begin with. And the whole job of the military is to kill. And that's the, that's the purpose of military. It's an extension of business. Uh, that's what warfare is. Uh, when, when diplomacy fails, and diplomacy is all about taking over someone else's resources, then you send in the military as an economic factor. But unfortunately, this human conscious problem uh, gets in the way all too often. And they, they found that during the Vietnam era, and even some of the guys in power right now, who were in power back then, behind the scenes, uh, talked about ways to desensitize people uh, growing up, children especially, so they'd be more prone to kill for, in future wars. And that's what video games were given to them for. The video games were given and invented for the military to use and then given to your children to desensitize them. They don't see those little figures on the screen as real people, and they, they don't think about killing them. They just get from here to there, and you win, and kill as many as possible, and you've succeeded. You're a winner. You're a winner. That's what life is supposedly all about, being a winner. You don't want to be a loser. You want to be a winner. So you're already desensitized. In Canada, even here, the target shooters were not allowed to use the figures of humans to shoot at in their silhouettes and their boards, their target boards. Only the police and the military were allowed to use that. And here you are training children to fire at what appears to be animated people in video games, bringing them up to be completely desensitized to the concept of killing. What a world. And sure, conspiracies do exist, happens all the time. Or you can always believe it's all a coincidence theory. From Hamish and myself up here and from up here in Ontario, Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>